0: Well, let's stop. Let's talk about um, accepting one another. Last week, we talked about loving one another. And we talked about that we were loving those uh, both in the church and in the community and people that were believers and people that weren't. It's a, it's a blanket statement from Christ. Love one another as I've loved you. So today we talk about accepting one another. That's the next logical step. I've decided I'm going to love everyone now I'm going to have to deal with the hard work of the, the, the ways we're different, the things people around me see differently than I do, and how can we have friendship, how can we have relationship, and not everybody is going to be a friend, not everybody will be in a relationship of some kind with you, friend, or otherwise. So we talk about accepting one another, and our text today lead us to the early church wrestling with this uh, tremendous Conflict and concept of, of accepting each other in the church. Remember, uh, when Acts, from pretty much the start of the book of Acts all the way through the rest of the Bible, the New Testament, uh, you'll find people adjusting and adapting to a whole new way of life. I mean, the religious world of that day was, had been turned upside down. And if you are familiar with what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and basically the church was born, the church that was always the dream of Jesus was born. You know, and it talks about people hearing uh, their own language uh, spoken by uh, others who they didn't know would even uh, know their own language. You talk about getting baptized, two or 3,000 getting baptized at a time was a big moment in the church when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. And so that was in essence really the birth of the church as we know it today. So let's talk about what it was like in all that sea of change to accept each other. It wasn't easy then, it still isn't easy. But there's some biblical truth, I believe, that we can learn where uh, we we will at least prayerfully consider how can we accept someone whose faith is different. So the the pivotal verses here, Romans 14, 1, accept him whose faith is weak. Now, where last week was love everybody, that we are called by Jesus to love everybody, in the church, not in the church, believer, non-believer, whatever. And this today is certainly along the same line, but This is really about loving each other within the body of Christ. There's a little bit of that as well as loving, uh, accepting everyone. So we want to accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. That's accepting a believer whose faith is weak uh, without passing judgment on disputable matters, and that's another piece of this puzzle that we'll spend a little time on because who decides what a disputable matter is and who's going to decide how it should be resolved. And I say that should be approached very prayerfully because I think the Bible gives us tools to do that exactly as Jesus would have us do it. Romans 15:7 says this, accept one another then as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God very important. In every church, in every family, there's a culture. There's a cultural dynamic. We've all been shaped by our experiences uh, from from where we were born, how we were raised, and different things that have happened to us, both painful and wonderful. But every one of us, we, we live within a culture that kind of reflects how we are, how we roll with life, how we move, how we make decisions, how we handle conflict, and so on. But in every church and in every family, there's a culture, a set of beliefs or convictions about how we should live as followers of Christ. And when the cultural norms are changed or violated, debate and argument then is typically the result. And so, for example, some would say, well, uh, drinking alcohol is absolutely forbidden, and you cannot do that. Or another one would say, well, drinking alcohol, alcohol is perfectly fine in the New Testament. And so Christians who say that's wrong, well, they just make me mad because they're immature and shallow. That's not good. That's not a good way to handle that. God doesn't want us to eat meat. I'm just convinced of that you have people that have these convictions about they just can't eat any more meat. And they think I should neither. And good luck with that. But, but I, I appreciate someone's tenacity that they believe they will live a healthier, longer life. If they don't eat meat, for example, God doesn't want us to eat meat. They say it's just wrong. And anyone who doesn't see it that way is not desiring better health. They're unspiritual and frankly, shallow people. Well, there's people that feel so strongly about things that if you don't agree, you're going to be a bit shamed for not seeing the light. Surely that's, that's happened to most of us in this room. Or, what about parenting? Parents should educate their children one specific way. Here's one course, here's one book, and this is going to tell you everything you need to do for all of your kids. Kim and I, uh, one of the most ferocious arguments we've ever had, we, we don't remember them, thankfully, but this one we'll never forget. And this is when our, there was a class being offered at, at, at our church on Sunday night, and it was for parenting, it's for parents. And uh, I, I would guess our kids were somewhere between uh, 5 and 10 through there, uh, young, the little kids. And we thought, well, we need to learn how to do this better. And Kim was always one, she's always been one that wanted to apply herself, learn, still does this. She's always reading and learning and applying herself and getting better at everything. And hey, what's, their, what's the downside of getting better as parents? So we went to this, uh, this Sunday night group that we were going to uh, learn how to be better parents. Well, um, it created some of the most memorable fights we've ever had. Uh, it was weird to drive to church with our three kids talking about going to the church. And it was weird driving back to the house and kids that were, and had to, we had to harm them for life uh, probably because the car was in chaos. And here was, here was my issue with it because I think I rolled off the changing table as a baby and did something to my brain because legalism goes all over me. You give me a formula, I'm, I'm just going to start getting uncomfortable that there's, here's the formula, here's the way you've got, now there are sometimes you need a formula. How do I do this? How do I do this right? All right? But for us, I, I was coming out of the, the idea that each one of our kids are different, and they are. They're fearfully, wonderfully made. Some more fearfully than others, but they're fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> And so Kim is very disciplined and very diligent, and this particular class was giving us a, a formula. It was good, God was in it, but it was, it was just to be a cookie cutter for straight across the board. Now, nothing wrong with that. Uh, it worked for a lot, it just didn't work for, for me, frankly. <laughs> and, and we begin to see there's not a one-size-fits-all in how we raise or educate our kids. We have three kids, they're all adults now, of course. You know one of them really well, Um, but they all—they are different. We're all made in the image of God. We're all made differently. Not one of us is like anybody else—at least identical. We're all unique. So there's all this. There can be arguments like we were having, or there can be all kinds of thoughts about one couple saying, "This is the way you've got to do this. This is the way you're going to raise kids, and you raise them all the same." And formulas are good. There are some great books out there, great speakers, great writing on how to be good parents. But where we get in trouble is when someone starts saying, throw those other things away. This is the way. Worship services in churches used to be war zones. I grew up in church. When I was growing up, I know it's dark ages and you can't imagine that I'm this old, but we had one source of, of songs that we would sing. It was called a hymnal. Some of you have never seen one. It, it's a book, looks like a Bible, uh, and it's in the pew racks in you know, churches that have the pew racks, you know, on the benches and all that. And that was all we had. We would take the hymnal out. We would turn to the page the the, uh, the worship pastor told us to turn to, and we would sing those, those hymns. And it was, I thought it was, it was phenomenal. It was It was great. And then along came something called a chorus, a praise chorus, a prayer chorus. In fact, it was called Majesty. Jack Hafer wrote it. He just passed away this week. Phenomenal pastor and leader. He was 86, I think. But he wrote, he sat on the piano and wrote a song that became kind of this, the standard for worship music. And then along came Bill and Gloria writing something beautiful, something good, all my confusion he understood, or because he lives I can face. All of a sudden we're singing songs that aren't in the hymnal. And people will leave a church over that. I mean, I've seen better fights over a hymnal sitting next to a Bible in the same pew rack and the hymnal's split in the church where the other book could talk to them about having unity. But I've seen so many bad things happen because someone got all stuck on their idea, their way. It's the only way, their tradition. And that's what this whole text is talking about. There were some believers that would be more mature and had had, uh, discovered more freedom in Christ, freedoms that they did not have under the law. So Paul narrows this down to two groups of people. He's saying there's the weak and there's the strong. And you will be interested to see how how we will define these words, because we would assume that we would define the word strong, would would attach to people who were keeping all the rules, who were following all the rules, who were going by the book, and they were a good Christian person. And the weak ones are those that were sort of on their own little journey over here. Both extremes are not good, but you might find this surprising. There were three issues then, and we're going to talk about this in the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians. And uh, I'll flip through those and read them as we get there. But there's three issues being discussed here. Food, drink, special days. Food, drink, and special days. These were the issues, the disputable matters causing tension in this early church. And so let's look at food. Let's go to Romans 14, and we can kind of see how this food battle was going on. And so it was a common practice in those days... Uh, to kill animals for sacrifices. And now this is post-Old Testament. This is after Christ's birth and resurrection and crucifixion and coming back as, and giving his life as the one sacrifice once and for all, nothing further needed. But there were still some who wanted to practice the sacrificing. Now, nothing sinful or wrong necessarily about that. It wasn't necessary, but there were some that were hanging on to, like a, like a hymnal, they were hanging on to something in the past that was part of their experience. So the problem, though, arose when they started saying that everyone else should still do that. And those who are free in Christ are saying that is no longer necessary. And then they got to have a debate about the meat that was sacrificed. So it was a common practice then, at that time, to kill the animal for sacrifice and it was a sacrifice to the gods and then you would sell the remaining meat in the marketplace so some of the brothers had no problem eating this meat it was good meat and while others were horrified at the idea that that meat had also been offered to an idol so if something doesn't align with our values then what happens there's there's an argument So in Romans 14, 1 through 4. Accept other believers who are weak in their faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's right to uh, to eat anything, but another believer with sensitive conscience may eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more important than other ones, while the others think every day is alike. So you begin to see the conflict. Those who eat food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. Those who refuse to eat certain foods want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. So you you, you see the dilemma. And it's just typical human nature. It's amazing. I'm reading a human nature problem here that's a couple thousand years old because I could have read, I could have read a story, paraphrase this, and you might have thought I was talking about somebody I talked to this week. Not much has changed. So this, the, part, the problem arose when believers who used to sac- make animal sacrifices for their sins to be forgiven no longer need that because Jesus had taken care of that. So then they had no problem then eating meat that part of it had been offered to an idol and yet the the rest of it is being sold and it's been purchased at the market and they're enjoying it. So this is what's interesting. Since uh, since there is no God but one, then food that unbelievers sacrifice to idols means nothing. Why worry about the issue? Paul, Paul explains, not everyone has this knowledge. Some new believers had been so used to, to the idol worship and sacrifices to be forgiven that to eat food sacrificed to idols, uh, to them, was, was something you, you had to keep doing. And yet to other believers, they said, we're done with that. There's no reason any longer to eat food, and if they've sacrificed to an idol, the idols aren't real. We know that. We serve the real God. So whatever they were doing with that meat is of no concern of ours. It is still good meat worthy to be eaten at the dinner table. And so you've got a typical battle that brews. If you've been in church any length of time, thankfully, not I truly mean this, not this church. This has been one of the most I'm shocked how peaceful this place has been, how conflict-free we are. We're not perfect. We do have conflicts occasionally. People are people. We're all people, okay? And occasionally hurting people hurt people. And occasionally people that aren't hurting and don't mean to hurt anybody hurt people. So this is just called human nature. But this has always been a church in my 40 years with it that would rather do anything than argue and fight. And you can tell that. And I think that's why God has blessed it that much. Again, that doesn't mean we all see eye to eye on everything, but it does mean we're keeping Jesus at the center and the focus. And if you keep Jesus at the focus, you don't get all worked up over a hymnal or over a song or a style or whatever. So this is the dilemma they're having. They're eating meat that was offered to an idol. And the believers, the strong believers say the idols aren't real. They may have thought it was, but that went off. There's no such thing as an, as, as an idol. There's, there's no other God. There's one. So we, can, we have the freedom then to indulge in this meat that is now being sold in the market. So what's happening here is they're, they're holding on to tradition. Those who were angry about this eating meat, they're, they are holding on to tradition over freedom. And it's easy to do. In fact, you do know the extremes are more comfortable in, any, in every situation, in every subject. The extremes are always easy. It's where you have to really weigh things out and do what you know is right when you stand before God. But we also, I mean, churches have this tendency to stay, get stuck in tradition over the freedoms that are ours in Christ, and they're, they're applicable to every generation, every season on the earth until the Lord comes back, until the Lord returns. So Paul acknowledges that food in and of itself can't bring us closer to God, regardless of whether we eat it or not. The issue is harming brothers and sisters in Christ by practicing something then that would be a stumbling block. And to the believers, this was not a stumbling block. And Paul would say, those are the strong believers who were able to eat the meat having found any issue that had been offered by somebody, thought they could offer it to an idol. Well, the believers say there aren't any idols, so don't worry about it. But those, those were, Paul said, the strong ones. It was the weak ones, Paul says, that are hanging on to something from the past. They're holding on to the, the ritual, missing the entire point. No further sacrifice is needed. Christ, the Passover lamb, was sacrificed once and for all, finished, done, forgiven. And they were having trouble grasping that. So that's the food problem they had. And then the next one's drink what they were drinking. Well, in those days, it was primarily wine and water, I suppose. You didn't have a Diet Coke handy, none of that was available then. So there's this argument. 1 Timothy 5.23 says, don't drink only water. You ought to take a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. So there's there's no basis in the New Testament to say that wine in and of itself is evil. The problem is when we have too much of it. And Ephesians 5.18 says, look, here's your caution. Don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. That's true absolutely true. Some feel the freedom to have a glass of wine. Others don't. That was the case then. So Romans 14, 21, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it could cause someone else to stumble. There's the reasoning right there that having, if, if you have a problem having too much and many do, then it's going to ruin your life. And if you're not sensitive to those around you, it could cause another believer to think they've got permission to do something they can't handle. You begin to see the difference here. My parents, uh, my dad was a pastor, grew up in church all my life. Wonderful church, wonderful parents. Uh, And I've told you before, as PKs, my brother and I, we you know we moved one time. That's a that's a big deal for preachers' kids. Typically, you move a lot. We moved once, and that was such a blessing. Mom and Dad had some marriage struggles, and that ended up in a divorce. Their divorce was final on the 30th wedding anniversary. We never had any of the of the the bad things in our home. There's never been alcohol in our home growing up, and, and we kind of thought it was just a you know it's like a ticket to hell. One foot on a banana peel, and the other one you know in the grave. And so don't go there. Now my brother and I did try to smoke cigarettes. I need to confess that uh, we would ride our bikes down to the gas station, and when he, you know those days that the attendant would go out to your car and and you know, put the gas in your car. I know you can't fathom that. It's just hard to believe that was a time. But so we would go down when the attendant wasn't looking, we'd grab his cigarettes and head home. And then we'd get under the crawl space of the house and smoke them down. You know, we were, I don't know, we were probably 13, 12, 13, 10, I don't know what it was, but we tried it. And you know, it it just kind of did nothing for us. We just smelled, you know, and it it wasn't good. There's so many things going through my mind right now. I just need to stop and keep going. Sometimes my mind is so fantastic, my mouth can't keep up with it. (laughs) Well, then my parents divorced, not because we were smoking. Don't tie that to that. (laughs) We have failed. Our children are smoking. They would have been disappointed, that is for sure. We later uh, admitted that and had a a good laugh over it later in life. But when they divorced, when none of us saw that coming, it can happen to anybody, their divorce was... Finally, their 30th wedding anniversary. Mom stayed in Ohio, dad moved to California. Probably within the year, six months or so, a year, when I was going maybe at a holiday or something to go to Ohio to see mom, or then fly out to California to see dad and our, our California family. What happens? I get to their house, I get to my mom's house. She has a wine fridge. I go to my dad's house. He's got a bigger wine fridge. <laughs> what happened here? What, how, what are you all doing? You, we, we always thought that just looking at a bottle could send us to hell if we didn't close our eyes and walk the other way, you know? So here's what's happening. We're honoring tradition over freedom sometimes. And we kind of were afraid of that. And I, I think we need to have a, a healthy fear toward anything that can impair our minds. That can cause us to not be clear. But Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine. Read John chapter 2. So there was argument here. There was disagreement. There was tension here. And then the third place where they found tension was in special days. Romans 14, 5 and 6. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. There were those who considered certain days far more important than others. We still do to a great degree in our culture. Others saw every day was just the same. Those still holding on to the law, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, wanted to keep the traditions of sacred days. After the resurrection of Christ, every day was was sacred. Every day. Every day was a day of worship. Every day deserved our full devotion. Romans 14, 15. Again, one man considers one day more sacred than the other. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Frankly, they went from the ritual of meeting at the Sabbath a day a week. uh, I'm sorry, meeting on the Sabbath at the temple. And if you get into Acts 2, 3, and 4, you'll see they're meeting every day. Every day. That's how excited these people were about this new freedom, this new path, this new acceptance by God himself. Every day they met. They set aside tradition for the new freedom. There's so many times when in this whole special days thing that there's people who hold on to these things for good reason. We have some special days. We celebrate birthdays, of course. We all do that. We, we have a day we celebrate Christmas. It's December 25. That, that is not the day Jesus was born, but we celebrate it then. That's, that was the day picked somewhere back in time. I didn't do the research on it. And that's okay. It doesn't matter. We're just going to celebrate the birth of Christ. We call it Christmas. There are all kinds of, we have our, our patriotic time when we, when we have our 4th of July parties. So we have some traditions, we have some special days. There's nothing wrong with those. But what was happening was the, the, the believers who hadn't really fully embraced Christ and understood what the new privileges were in Christ were holding on to these days as, as sacred. It'd be like us saying, if you don't go to church on Sunday, then it's a bad week and there's no other day to go. You got to go. Sunday. I remember the comments uh, we would see from ministers across the country when churches started having Saturday night church. You can't do that. That's not the Lord's day. Well, every day is the Lord's day now. Holding on to tradition over the freedom. We can worship every day if we want to. Every day. Paul is saying that it's the weak ones who want to require others to live by their convictions. When I say I'm right and you have to do the same or you're wrong, he's saying it's it's the weak ones who want to require others to live by their convictions. It's the weak ones who think that everyone should live their, their way. You ought to all live my way, we would say. It's the weak who think that everyone should see it their way. That everyone should practice what they practice and what they do and the way they do it. It's the week who say we must have sacred days and do only certain things on those days. I mean, I know there's a little dust up in the press about churches not having worship, not having church on Sunday, Christmas Day, the 25th. And, it, it, you know, I see, I see all the sides of it. And I, I agree, we've established that the Lord's Day is a Sunday. Somewhere back in time, that's the way it worked out. But in other words, are we saying we can't worship the Lord on a Sunday somewhere other than in the big house? I wouldn't want to make that a habit. But in other words, there was some meaningful worship taking place in families because they could pull the service up whenever they were ready for it. Rather than going to a building and make it available in between nine and noon. And even then, there was still a little bit of a dust-up in social media about how dare a church not have church on Sunday. We did. We just didn't do it one place. So Paul says in Romans 15:1, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul identifies himself with strong Christians. Those whose personal convictions allowed them more freedom than the weak who were still tied pretty tightly to tradition. Nothing wrong with that tradition. Nothing wrong at all with that. We have some traditions. All of us do. It's when you demand everyone else to like your, and to to value and validate and do your thing that you're doing, you demand others to do the same. And that's what's happening here. Paul is helping us see we we must not allow what we eat or what we drink cause someone else to stumble. That is true. We should not use our God-given, biblically-approved freedom if it causes someone around us a problem. That's true. In other words, if I invite my vegetarian friends over for dinner and grill steaks for everybody, I'm being very insensitive. I'm not being a good friend in that moment. I'm I'm demonstrating an unwillingness to say, hey, you're my friends. You all like no meat. So that's, that's okay. It's okay. We're going to have a great time together, and we're going to have all whatever it is we're going to have. I think chips and queso fit that to broad description of what we can have. Not just vegetables. We've got to have something that we really like. <laughs> if I invite my AA friends over to the house and serve alcohol, even though I, may, I would have the biblical freedom to, to drink that wine, But to do so, to to have that with your friends who are struggling with alcoholism and who are excited because they're now six months sober or six years sober or whatever. Those are great days we celebrate around here. 20 years sober, whatever that is. I would be, how insensitive, what a lousy friend I would be to insist that, hey, I feel the freedom to do this. You may not, but we're going to do it anyway. I would do a terrible thing to my friends who through the power of God found freedom from substance. And here's the bottom line. Each of us will give an account someday of ourselves to God. Each of us. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Gossip is still juicy these days. Always has been, always will be. It's hard to keep bad news about someone to ourselves. But be aware. One of these days, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let's quit passing judgment on each other. I'm responsible for my actions. I will stand one day before the Father and give an account of myself. I'm not going to have a given account for anybody else. I'm not going to give your account. I'm going to give mine. I'm not going to stand before God and say, God, aren't you pleased? Aren't you proud of me? I got all straightened out. And that's not what I'm going to be saying. I think I have one sentence. I don't know what it's going to be like. I think it'll be, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, for, for providing a way out. Thank you for being, having the forgiveness that we carry taken and lifted from our shoulders. Who knows what we'll say, but if I have a chance to think it through, that's what I would say. We'll all give an account. So we accept one whose faith is weak, we accept one another, knowing we all are in different places. We have different ideas and different thoughts. Acceptance does not mean agreement. Strong people are free people, no more, and, and they, they would say they're free from legalism at this point. They may have habits that they appreciate and value, but, but strong people are free. No more, no more legislation. They don't have to go back to a ritual to feel accepted by God. Acceptance does not mean relationship. I can accept all kinds of people, but it may not be that we'll spend time together and go on a vacation. Acceptance does, does mean, it does mean mutual respect, understanding, kindness, and patience. That's what it means. So I have no business making any judgments, drawing any conclusions about someone until I know them. Until I've sat down with them and looked them in the eye and listened to their story. Rumors, opinions about other judging. That is not pleasing to God. Is there anyone God cannot change? And the Bible says that in Christ we are all new creatures. The new has come, the old is gone. But how many times have we continued to hold on the old and hold the old over the head of another new creation, a new person? So remember, everything's permissible but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. So in other words, every one of us, we need to decide there are things that are permissible. They're not sinful. But are they beneficial? Are they helpful? Do they have an ability to cause problems between me and another person or me and the family or with God. Everything's permissible, but not everything's constructive. We 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 will never, as believers, as followers of Christ, we should never seek our own good, but the good of others. What can I do to bring blessing to others? So here's what I want you to think about this week. First of all, pray Psalm 139 verse 23 Search me, oh God, and know my heart. See if there's anything in me that you can change, that needs to change. Pray that. Search me. Let's get our eyes off sizing up somebody else. And let's ask God to take a good hard look at us and help us see something maybe we haven't seen yet. Or maybe we've seen it, but we just keep dismissing it as if it's no big deal. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Pray for someone who is hard for you to accept. Now, this does not mean, okay, this does not mean that you're going to start having lunch every week, but you're going to pray that God will change your attitude about someone that you find difficult to accept and find a way to be kind. We're going to pray for patience because that's what we need in the body of Christ. We need to be patient with those. We have so many people coming into this church from all walks of life, young, old, everything in between, prisoners, alcoholics people that have cheated in their marriages. I mean, it's every sin you can imagine. It's represented in most churches, frankly, and certainly in ours, but when it, one that's gotten as large as it has. So let's, let's pray that we'll have our heart checked. Let's pray for someone who's hard, a little bit hard to, to handle, to tolerate. Let's pray for patience and maybe even ask a friend to pray for you and with you. If you do that, I think you could have a change of heart or a change of attitude That would be good for you. And the person that you might be having trouble accepting or the person you might be praying for may never know you had trouble with them. They may never know that you prayed, that you could see things differently. They may not need to know, but you know. I encourage you to give thought to that this week. I'm gonna call our prayer teams to the front of the room. They would come. They'll be ready to pray with you about anything that's on your mind. There's a lot of things going on in a lot of our lives, most everybody's life at any given time. So whatever it is that's on your mind today may have something to do with the message. It may not. Please allow us to pray for you. And the prayer teams are here to do that. And I trust them, our pastors, our leaders here at the church. The prayer walls are available. You can write a prayer request, put it in the wall, and know you will be prayed for this week. So whatever you need, Please know this is a church that seeks to meet each other's needs. Let us pray for you. It's an honor to get to do that. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of this day. We thank you so much for the freedom we have to gather. Father, we thank you so much that we come here to simply be with the others in the body of Christ so we can celebrate together what God has done in our lives. And thank you, Father, that we can call on your name 24-7. Thank you for those sacred moments we will have, not just inside a church, but perhaps in a family room, perhaps sitting on a back porch, perhaps looking at nature, perhaps reuniting with someone for the relationship was soured. Father, however way you want to do it, we pray that you will help us see things your way. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us to truly not just love others, but to accept them, especially those among us whose faith may be weak. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.